Thursday, I talked about a second part of eternal salvation, and I tried to make us understand that, uh, that the Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest no man boast. So it means that you cannot boast by any work that you did to be saved. Therefore, salvation is a promise that God gave us uh, if we believe in him. Just like the Bible said, uh, eternal life is a promise that God gave us in salvation. Uh, just like it says in John 3.16, For God loves the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Also, the book of 1 John chapter 2, verse 25 says, And this is the promise that he had promised us, even eternal life. So, this life is the life that Jesus gave us, I mean, God promised us, and he gave us in Jesus Christ. So, therefore, we did not do any work to earn it. We were saved by grace. So, the salvation that we're given, we established that it was, is an eternal salvation uh, because of several reasons. You can listen to the tapes. Um, so, also, went further to make us understand that many a times why we think we lose our salvation is because we are sin conscious. We think salvation is sustained by whether you sinned or not sinned. Whether sin is the cause of you, I mean, whether the absence of sin is the presence of salvation or the presence of sin is the absence of salvation. Um, and we try to deal with it in the fact that we, I made us realize that sin is a nature problem. Uh, sin is, um, is a nature. And the moment we became saved in Christ, we received a new nature in God. And the nature that we received is a nature of eternal life. And that nature is a nature of God as well. And that nature has delivered us from our old nature, which is the nature of sin. As the Bible says that uh, um, when we become, uh, all things are passed away, they have become new. And the newness that we have received is the new life in Christ Jesus. And that life has delivered us from our, from our old nature. So sometimes you might still find some existing sin in your life. It doesn't mean you still have the nature of sin in you. You've been delivered from the nature of sin. You have the nature of God now, the nature of Christ inside of you. But because you are still uh, used to your old way of life, it's sometimes difficult for you to get rid of that old nature. So you need to familiarize yourself with the new nature, which is the nature of God, as you familiarize yourself with that new nature, you um, automatically and you, you gradually also uh, um, um, uh, deliver yourself from your old sin. You are delivered, but you, what I mean by when I use the word delivered there, I don't want to take it too spiritually. I just meant that you are, um, uh, all that sin begins to fall off you. And I gave an example that if a poor man suddenly becomes uh, extremely rich, Sometimes it might be difficult to live, I mean, at the beginning of his, um, I mean, that is riches that he just received, he might still be living like a poor man. It takes time for him to adjust his lifestyle to a rich man's life because he has always lived his life as a poor man. Um, so it's a sin, a sin is, a, is from a nature um, which is a fallen nature. So if therefore God's nature is the, is the nature we received in salvation, that God's nature delivers to us a quality of life that is amazing, that delivers us from our old nature. So it's not the presence of sin, nor the absence of sin that makes us eternally saved. Salvation is what Christ has given us the moment we believed in him. So therefore, he is the one that will sustain the salvation that he has given us because the Bible says in the book of James, it said to him who is able to keep us from falling and presenting us blameless before him. Now, uh, we've talked about all that, and, but I want to today go further in one particular aspect, which is things that are eternal. Now, I mentioned eternal salvation again because that's one of the things that Christ gives, gave us that are eternal, eternal salvation. That's one. But there are some other things that we've been given that are eternal by God, that God has given us that are eternal, and it's important for every Christian, every believer to understand it. Because if you don't understand it, you would always make mistake in your spiritual journey. Amen. 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 So one of those things, um, uh, the I've mentioned eternal salvation, um, and, but the second thing I will mention now is eternal redemption. Redemption. Eternal redemption. Can we open our Bibles together to Hebrews chapter 9, 
verse 12. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. Now, okay, okay. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most high place one for and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Somebody say eternal redemption. The meaning of redemption is that the, 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 your, your sins has been paid for. Your wrongs has been paid for. So when you received salvation, it was not just a matter that, it's not, it was not just that God declared you free. It's not just that God declared you uh, delivered. It's not just that God declared you untouchable by the devil. What God did also was to pay for your sins. Praise God. So that you can know that it has been paid for. You see, look at this. You know, if you owe someone, your debt can be declared free. You can owe someone and the person can say, you know what, I forgive you your sin. Um, your debt, sorry. You can forget the money you owe me. How many of you like to, that someone forgets the debt you owe them? <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, it's, it's beautiful. You, someone can look at you and say, you know, I've forgotten the debt. Don't worry. Don't bother paying me back. But you know, two years can come down the line and the person can still feel some level of pressure and remember that, Kai, there is no way out. This is the only way. He can still come back and still change, his, change what he, I mean, because the person is not God, he can still change his promise. Is that not so? Uh, you see, with man, man is not stable. Man is not stable. If man feels pressure, if man is pressed, if man, if man is pressed, the things that he doesn't want to do, he will do it. So it can happen. Now, because he's not God, he, can, he will come back and ask. He, he may come back and ask. I'm not saying he will. I mean, he's not sacrosanct. But he may come back and ask. So, the way that the sin can be, or the debt can be completely forgiven is when it has been paid. When it has been paid, it can never, ever, ever come back again. Is that not so? Hello, do you understand what I just said now? It can, it can never, if you have paid it back, it can never come back again. Someone can still give you something free. And maybe later on he's pressed. Because he's man. But, what God did was not just to declare you free, was to pay for your sins. So that nothing will come back and ask from, from you, ask them from you again. So that when the devil comes up to you and says that, um, Yinka, you still owe me some part of your life, you can tell the devil that it's not just that I was declared freed by God, this part of my life was paid. So that payment is a guarantee, is a receipt. Hello? Do you understand? So that payment is a receipt, is a receipt. That, listen, for this, it's a receipt. You, can, you cannot ask me for it again. So, in your life, if there are things that God did not write for your life, God did not include for your life, and they are claiming for your life, you see, this is the reason why God will say you should stand firm in resisting the devil. Because the devil, everything that needs to be paid for your freedom, for your deliverance, has been paid. The reason why you should have confidence to resist the devil is because payment was made, not just because you were declared free. A blood was shed for your sins. Do you think that God could not just erase everything in... God could not just erase that... Is it not about sin? God created you now. God could say, you know, Jesus does not necessarily need to die. Let's just erase man's sin. And he just erased your sin. Right? Why did God have to go through all the theatrics and all the drama of allowing Jesus to die on the cross? Remember, the Bible says that the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the earth. I'm trying to bring your memory back to the fact that, listen, God understands that man might not understand. He needs to shed a blood so that man can understand that God paid 
God did not just declare you free. He paid. So listen, your deliverance was paid for. Tell your neighbor, your deliverance was paid for. Your freedom was paid for. Your healing has been paid for. So you don't need to be scared about some, you know, whether what you have done wrong somewhere or anything. Whatever might have happened, understand this. A payment was made. Hebrews says that not by the blood of goats and calves. You know, in the Old Testament, why this is saying this? Because in the Old Testament, goats and calves were the payment for every sin. I, I said on Thursday that in the Old Testament, it's not that God said, um, you, I mean, even though the law says thou shalt not sin, but after, if you sin, you just need to have the payment for your sin. And the payment for your sins is goats and calf. When you take it to the, um, to the priest, whom, if you read the Bible very well, the guy sounds just like Babalawo-ish kind of, like you're taking a goat and calf, you're taking, so that they can use that goat and calf to clean your sin. The Bible talked about Jesus in the book of Revelation. It calls Jesus the Lamb of God that was slain. So, in the Old Testament, your sin was not forgiven until you are paid for it with goats and cow. But it now says that now Jesus is the sacrifice that was made for us now for payment. He said, but with his own blood, with Jesus' blood, the blood of goats. And if you read the previous verse in this, in this, um, in this chapter, the book of Hebrews stated it clearly that the blood of goats and sheep cannot deliver you from your sin. They cannot. Because they could not. That's why Jesus actually came. So, I want to guess in the Old Testament, sinners are the richest people. Because they must, they didn't say you should not sin. Just have a goat to present, to wash your sins. So, if you don't have anything, you better don't sin. <laughs> because you don't have anything to present. So, but yet, they were doing it every time. So, you do it now, you are pure. You go home. Two days, two days, maybe one day, 20, after in 24 hours, something happens again, you commit a sin or you do something wrong, you have to take another goat again and go and shed it. So, they, they, you, I mean, no wonder agriculture must be, I mean, livestock must always be the biggest business <laughs> in those days because people will consistently commit sin and they have to be a goat to be shed. I'm sure the sheep and the goats in Sodom and Gomorrah, they should be running away every time, as in they should not be able <laughs> They should, not be, they should not want to stay in the land because I can imagine because of the gross level of sin. They have to be doing it all the time. But that is the blood of goats and sheep. They cannot perfect you. See this. But with his own blood, this is the blood of Jesus, he entered into the most holy place once and for all. Somebody say once and for all. Having obtained eternal redemption. It means that the blood of Jesus was shed just once for all your sin. Past, present, and future. So you don't need to come back and sacrifice Jesus again. No. You don't need to get, I mean, a goat. And, no. Jesus was sacrificed once for all your sin. Can we read um, okay, maybe this is not the version of, I mean, there's another version I wanted to read. Hebrews 10, 18. 10, 18. Hebrews 10, 18. Is he on the screen now? Okay, now where there is remission of this, there is no longer offering for sin. He's talking, he's saying that already when a payment has been paid, then there is, no, there is no longer remission for sin. Sorry, I want to open it here because there's something I want to I want you to see. 
where there is no, sorry, uh, yes. Where there is no, yeah, I'm looking at my own version because that's NKJV if I get it. Yeah. Now, where, the, where, now, where remission of this is, there is no more offering for sin. The word remission there is forgiveness. Now, when there is forgiveness of sin, there is no, there is no sin. So the point is this. God has given you eternal, uh, eternal redemption. When God paid for your sin, he paid for it eternally. So listen, it is not your sin that is stopping you from prospering. It is not your sin that is stopping you from growing in God. It is not your sin that is stopping you from growing spiritually. Why? Because your sins have been paid for, past, present, and future. The problem of this world is not sin. Because the moment Jesus settled it on the cross, he settled it forever, eternally. We are reading the Bible here. Our problem is focusing on God and growing in the knowledge of God so that we can get rid of that old life, so that we can begin to embrace our new nature. That's eternal redemption. So there is no more offering for sin when there is remission of sin. There is no more offering for sin when the sacrifice has been prayed. When forgiveness has been enthroned, then there is no more offering for sin. The second thing or the third thing I want to mention here today is eternal glory. 1 Peter 5.10 The glory that we have that God has given us is eternal. 1 Peter 5.10 says, But the God of all grace who had called us unto his eternal glory by whom? God has called us unto eternal glory by whom? So how many of you have Christ Jesus in you? So therefore, you have an eternal glory. He has called you unto eternal glory. As in, remember what, I, what we said about eternal. It's perpetual, it's constant, it's consistent, it's perpetual, it's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. It's always the same. It's not reduced at the point. It's not increased at the point. It's consistent. That means that God has called you to a consistent, perpetual glory. That means that anywhere you are, you carry God's glory. He has called you unto eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After they which suffer, I will make you perfect, establish you, and strengthen, and settle you. Let's read Romans 8, 29 to 30. Romans 8, 29 to 30. Can we quickly go there? For whom he did for no, he also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also did what? Them he also did what? Who is justified here? So you are glorified. It's a past tense. You are glorified. You are glorified. Anywhere you go, you carry God's glory. Anywhere you go, you are not less. You are not, you don't increase because it's not because you are in church that the God's glory increased. No, because if it's eternal life, that means that the same glory that you carry here in church is the same glory you carry at home. It's the same glory you carry in your office. It's the same glory you carry when you enter different places that you, whatever, wherever you enter, you carry that same. Because eternal life means it's continuous, it is perpetual. So it's the same. So don't think you are more glorified because you came to church. Don't think you are more glorified because you are amongst the gathering of the brethren. I know the Bible said where two or more people gather in his name, there he is. Listen, there is a level you grow and you understand that even you and God, I mean, when, anywhere you are, that is where God is. Hello? Anywhere you are is where God is. Do you carry Jesus in you? 
So anywhere you are, God is there. Jesus said, me and my father, we are one. So therefore, if, we, if Jesus and the father, they are one, if you carry Jesus in you, anywhere you go, you are a carrier of Jesus. You are carrying his glory. You are carrying his presence. You know, I used to say, I used to think of before this way because there was something that happened to me sometime in my life. I don't want to even go to the story because it would take me on a long journey to answer that. But, you know, I was in a position in my life where I thought that if God does not send you to a place, you are on your own. How many of you used to think of that? Think of it like that. That if God did not send you to a place, that you are on your own. Listen, if God does not send you to a place, you are not on your own. He is still with you. Because why? You cannot separate yourself from him. He cannot separate you from him too. The psalmist says that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Listen, at the beginning of that psalm, in Psalm 23, it started with the Lord is my shepherd. I shall know what. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still water. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. He now said this, Yea, though I walk. At the beginning, everything was he did. He lead. He does this. He does it. But the moment he got to that point, he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That means that he, by himself, by, I don't know, whatever was in his head, he left where God was leading him to and he, he went into the valley of the shadow of death. But he went further to say this. He said, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death for thou art with me. So listen, even if I mistakenly walk in the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord will never leave me. Jesus said, he, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Is it? Listen, when God makes a promise, if you read the book of Hebrews, the Bible said God was telling Abraham, he was swearing. When he was swearing, I know what he said to Abraham is simply, I will be with you and all that. And you know, he was swearing, he said he didn't have anybody to swear by. Because there was no person greater that he could swear by. So he swore by himself. Listen, he went further in that chapter by saying, by two immutable things, God being, not being a liar. That God cannot lie. If he says he's with you, he is with you. You might not feel his presence. That's where we miss it. Because sometimes, because we don't feel his glory, you want to feel God's glory. You want to feel his presence. His, his presence is not because of your feeling. His presence is a fact, is a constant. You don't have to feel him before you know he's present with you. Whatever you are going through, know that God will never leave you. Say to yourself, God will never leave me. Neither will he forsake me. There is nothing that you are going through that God is not with you. You cannot separate yourself from him. You cannot, he cannot leave you. He's with you. The psalmist went further to say, uh, I think in Psalm, is this Psalm 16, where he said that even though I pitch my tent in hell, you know what that means? Hell is a place that you don't expect God to be. And the psalmist said, even though me, I carry my tent, I say I want to go and sleep in hell. He said, your presence is with me very well. So it means that if me, by my stupidity, I carry my, I say I want to go to where the most evil is committed in the surface of the earth. Listen, God will still not leave me. Jesus said, yea, I give you eternal life and no man can ever pluck you out of my hands. Nothing, nothing can ever pluck you out of God's hands. You can never be separated from God. You can decide not to follow what he's saying. You, can, you might not feel him. You can decide to ignore him. But that doesn't mean his presence is not with you. You have an eternal glory. Because that was what he secured for you in death. He secured an eternal glory for you. Praise God. The, third thing, the fourth thing is eternal spirit. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered 
himself without spot to God. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. We have an eternal spirit through the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit. Sorry. The spirit of God in us is eternal. No, I think I'm good. The spirit of God is eternal. And is in you. And you know when we say eternal, we are not saying forever alone. We are saying consistent and perpetual. That means, listen, it's not because I say, so let us move into the spirit now as we pray. No, you are never out of the spirit. It's not because I say as a pastor that I can feel the presence of the Holy Spirit right here that you will know that you have a spirit, the Spirit of God. I mean, the Spirit of God is, in, is here or is in you. It's not because you enter a space and you start having goose pimples that you will know that you have the Spirit of God in you. You don't need any sign. <laughs> Jesus is, you know the people that Jesus was trying to show signs to? Jesus was trying to show signs and wonder to people because they don't believe. That's the way it is. Because when people don't believe, Jesus has to show signs and wonders so that they can know that he is God. But even those signs and wonders, even those signs and wonders are not the thing because those signs and wonders are just signs, they are wonders. They, in fact, there are some things that can be done by people. It is until you are taught to know the real thing. Because the Bible says, for example, it is people who are ignorant that God will use signs, parables, all those kind of things to be taught. People who are babies, babes. Because you must find examples to make them understand. Jesus said to disciples, said, but it is given to you to understand the mysteries of God. Jesus teaches in signs and wonders in all those kind of things because people don't believe and they don't understand. So he wants to use those signs and those wonders to bring them to a point of understanding. That's what he wants to do. Because some of those signs and wonders, we have to be careful with them. Let me tell you why. The book of Hebrews says that God in, um, in seldom times has been able to, to teach us true signs and wonders. Let me let me open it. Hebrews, I think it's Hebrews 10 from verse 1. Yeah, yeah, good. Hebrews 10 from verse 1. It said, For the law, having a shadow of things to come, has not in the has not the has sorry, and not the very image of the things that can never with those sacrifices with the offered year by year continue to make perfect commas thereunto perfect. In other words, this listen, all that English that I've just read is that the law in the Bible, for example, is like they are signs. They are shadows of the real thing. The real thing is not the signs. It's not the shadows. It's not, the, it's not all those, it's not miracles. It's not all, that's not the real thing. Because you can be, those things are just to attract people who are babes, who are still ignorant. But when you come in, you need to eat mature food that will make you, you know, like the Bible says, it said, mature food belongs to those who are by reason of use, being able to exercise their senses, to be able to understand the good, good, uh, good and evil. So in other words, you need to come to a knowledge of who the true God is. So the people of the Old Testament, for example, the law itself were like signs of a, the presence of a supreme being, but they never really understood who this being was. Because if they did, when God decided to speak with the children of Israel directly, they couldn't understand God. Because they just didn't know who he was. The only thing they know is that Moses goes up like this and he comes down with instructions that maybe sometimes are very, very diabolical. You know, you just can't explain it. Therefore, they believe that definitely there is a supreme being up there that we must respect. And they started worshipping God. And that's why there was a point that Moses didn't come back on time. What did they do? They caught a brazen serpent, um, no, a calf, and started worshipping. 
Because they needed something that was greater, that they just, you understand? That, so, if they knew God directly, they wouldn't do that. They just wanted to have a connection with something greater than them. So, that's why I said, even signs and wonders, they are beautiful things. They are good things. Miracles, they are beautiful things. They are good things. However, that's not the real thing. They are just to catch our attention, catch them young. When we now come in, we get taught, we get to understand who God is truly. Because God is beyond miracles and wonders. He's beyond signs and all those things. So going back to what I was saying. Yes, he said, you know, that we have eternal spirit. And how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot? We have an eternal spirit within us. It's not because you see anything dramatic that makes, it, that makes you know that the spirit of God is here. It's, it's good. Those dramatic things are good. But there is a point you mature and you get to understand what the spirit of God, even if you don't feel him. Even if you don't feel him, you know. You know, there are times, do you think it's every time as a pastor that you feel that the presence of God is with you? Pastor B, maybe, pastor, maybe every day you just wake up, you are, you are floating in the air, and you, say, you are always floating. There are sometimes you just feel like you are just alone. You see, those times, those days, you know what will sustain you? God's word. Even though there is no feeling attached to it, there is a certain understanding you have about God sticks with you. There's a certain understanding you are. That's why God's word is important. That's why even the spirit of God is explained in God's word. Because yes, you can feel the spirit. I agree that sometimes you can feel the spirit. But beyond the feeling, you must be able to have a certain understanding that is beyond feelings. I remember there was a time when I used to you know, most of the times I judge my relationship with God with the feelings I have when I go to a, an environment and I don't have some certain feelings. So, every time I pray and I don't get to a point where I feel something, I am not certain that I've, I have touched anything. So, I stay there, I pray, 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 pray until I get one kind of feeling. And... <laughs> You know, these feelings, they can be doctored. These signs and wonders can be doctored. I'm not saying that there are no miracle, miracle and healing out there. But do you know how many people that have come to say they have believed Christ by seeing fake miracles that they did not even know that it was fake? In fact, some people still did not know that some people lied about the miracle that they received. Testimony time will come to stage and somebody tells you that you received a contract of 100 million naira. And you actually don't know how you received that contract. But all you go home with is that God was gracious to him that he had a 100 million naira contract. But he didn't tell you the aspects or those other aspects of the things that he did, the atrocities that he committed to get the 100 million naira. But what you go away with is that God is gracious to him and he got a hundred millionaire. That's meant to be a sign. But it was false. Because that's the, you see, that's the speciality of the devil, to deceive people. So it's important that you know God's word. You know it happened to Jesus. Since my mic is going down, you guys need to do something about it. You know, this happened to Jesus. Jesus was in the wilderness. And you know, the Bible made us understand that the devil came to him and was asking him questions, was giving him tasks. Change a stone to bread, jump from a mountain, you know, all those kind of stuff. And you know, in my mind one day, I was just thinking, I said, how did Jesus come to a point where him and the devil can be having a conversation? Then I realized that it was not just a physical conversation. It was something that was happening in his mind. The devil was having a conversation, was trying to get him to do things. And I felt at that moment, 
Is it that Jesus was not feeling himself enough to allow the devil into that, into that um, environment? You know, the book of Luke, I think, or John, the way it recounted it, it says that, and the devil took Jesus. That's what he said. He said, and the devil took Jesus to the mountain. I'm like, the devil took Jesus. How? And he got to the mountain and the devil started telling him all this. And I, in my mind, the way Jesus answered those questions, I believe strongly it happened because of his understanding of the scriptures and his, you know, conviction about the scriptures. Because the scriptures he quoted, the devil also quoted scriptures to ask him the questions. When the devil said, jump from the top. You know what he quoted? He quoted Isaiah. The devil quoted Isaiah. Oh, is he? Sam. <laughs> Sam. When he said that he will give his angels charge over you. That's what he quoted. But when Jesus would also respond, he responded in scriptures because of his understanding of the scripture. You see, that's someone who knows the scripture. And the Bible says this, that as the devil left the Bible said the angels came and they started ministering to him. That doesn't, listen, this testimony doesn't mean that Jesus was less of the spirit at that moment. No, he was full of the spirit. But it's just that he was not bent on until I feel one presence or I feel something that I know that the spirit of God with me. There was a, a residual understanding of who God is and the Holy Spirit is and he was able to walk in that you know, he was able to answer those questions in that, in that regard. So whether you feel it or not, you have an eternal spirit inside of you. You have a spirit that is always active. I believe it's also by the help of his spirit that was able to draw those questions, those answers. But I am so sure it was not out of a feeling of his presence, of the presence of the spirit. I'm so sure. Because if the devil can take him, if he feels the spirit, he shouldn't have followed the devil. But it was out of a conviction, a, a, a certain understanding of the scriptures. So whether you feel the spirit or not, you have the spirit of God in you. Say with me, I have the spirit of God in you, me. And it's with you always. It will never leave you. Praise God. I also want to say that one of the things we also have in Christ is that Christ has given us as eternal is forgiveness, eternal forgiveness. Hebrews eleven seventeen. Can we go there? Hebrews eleven verse seventeen. Okay. No. Okay. Yeah. By faith, Abraham, when he was wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Hebrews 10, 17, sorry. <laughs> Hebrews 10, 17, sorry. Hebrews 10, verse 17. Sorry, I have two translations of the Bible open, so I, I have to flip on them one by one sometimes. And their sins and iniquities I remember no more. This is Jesus talking. Their sins and their iniquities. He's talking about you and I. Let's read verse, let's read it in, KG, in Amplified. Can we read it in Amplified? In Amplified. Do you have it? Okay. Okay, and it goes on to say, and their sins and law-breaking, I will remember no more. Go on. That's not it. That's, that's, that's not it. That's not a hair. No, no, no. Hold on. You, let me read my own amplifier. I don't know. Maybe that's not what it Or there's something you are missing. My own says, and their sins and their lawless acts, I will remember no more. No longer holding their sins against them. Is it then your own? Check for it. 
It says, no longer will I hold their sins against them. Let's read um, Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. Colossians chapter 1. You can give me KJV of that. Colossians 1, verse 14. In whom we have redemption of sin through, the, through his blood. Whose blood are we talking about here? All right. He said, in whom we have redemption of sin, uh, the redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. You see, redemption, forgiveness, they are given as a gift to us in Christ Jesus. And this forgiveness is not forgiveness of a particular sin. It's forgiveness for sin completely. Listen, look at that word sin that he wrote there. He wrote sins. You know why he wrote sins there? So that you can know that. I'm not just saying one particular sin. I'm saying all sin. And when he says you are forgiven, he's not talking just only present. He's talking of past, present, and future. It means that the sin you are going to commit tomorrow, you have been forgiven by God. And that's why we could read in the book of Hebrews. Go back to that Hebrews place. Hebrews 10, 17. Where he says that, and their sins and iniquity I will remember no more. You know what that means? That God has forgotten the sin you committed yesterday. If you meet God today, and, you are, and God is telling you everything that happened in your life. You know God can, let's say God can look at you and say, ah, this is what you did yesterday. God will not recount the sin you committed yesterday with it. That part of the sin that you committed, it has been eliminated in God's mind. Every time when God looks at you, he doesn't see the sin that you have committed. Why? Because he has forgiven you. That's the level of God's forgiveness. You know, man, sometimes we can forgive people. We can forgive people, but we don't forget some things. Let's, listen, all this, whether, oh, they have, <laughs> he has forgiven you, but he has not forgot. Listen, there are some things that you cannot forget in your life. There are some terrible things that some people have done that, you know, it's, it's difficult to forget. It's difficult to forget. However, you can forgive. But listen, that is man. For God, if you ask God, it's like, what are you talking about? It's so funny that when we are going to God, we go to God with this mindset of what we have done wrong. And we are scared to talk. But God is looking at you and God is wondering what is wrong with this boy. Because God doesn't know what you are talking about. Imagine when you go to the presence of someone and you are so nervous to ask them for something and they really don't get the reason why you are nervous. And they really don't get the reason why you cannot just talk to them boldly. The book of Hebrews chapter 5 was saying, say, come boldly to the throne of grace that you might obtain mercy, grace and find mercy, uh, obtain mercy and find grace in the hour of need. What he's saying is that, come boldly to me. You have been forgiven. Don't come to me as if I have something against you. God doesn't have anything against you. Because he has forgotten you. He said, I will remember no more. When he said no more, no more means what? Never. Yeah, you can say you have committed atrocities. Ah, Pastor Inka, you don't know how bad some of the things I've done in my life. I get it. It might be difficult for man to forget. But don't, don't look at God like man. God is not man. Say to your neighbor, God is not man. It's important that you know that. Because every time you are thinking about God in form of man, you will never be able to understand God. So when you are going to God, don't go and ask God about the needs of your life or whatever you want to talk to him about. Don't go and meet him with the mindset that, Kai, are you sure he will give me because of the wrong things I've done? Because what God is saying to us right now is that I will remember your sins no more. I have forgotten all of them. Don't come to me being scared of your sins. Your sin does not stop me from blessing you. Your sin is not what is stopping you from being blessed by God. You are blessed by God. Praise the Lord. So in whom we have forgiveness of sin through his blood. In other words, in Christ, for a man that is in Christ, 
He has forgiveness of sin. The last thing I want to mention here is eternal love. And this is the most beautiful aspect of it for me. And this is what I'm using to wrap up this series. Jeremiah 31 verse 3. The Lord had appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Somebody say everlasting love. Say eternal love. God loves you eternally. As in, you cannot help it. You cannot stop it. You cannot fight it. You cannot push God away. Listen, you are tied to God forever. You are married today, tomorrow no more. You are married today, you are married forever. <laughs> you are married forever with Christ. You cannot, you, you cannot go away. You, can, you cannot go anywhere. Even if you say you don't want him, he wants you. He will not leave you. Romans chapter 8. You know where I'm going now. Romans chapter 8 from um, verse 20 is, is a long read that I want to read. Romans chapter 8 from verse 35. Let's read from 35. Let's see whether that would be sufficient for us. From 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Go on. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Hallelujah. For I am persuaded neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you give me this in message translation? Listen to me. In all this lecture that we have had, one very distinct and obvious fact is that eternal love is, I mean, eternal life is a life that is, that oozes out love. Love from God, love to man, love to your environment. Eternal life is about the love of God that he has shown unto you and I. Because if we are to look at it very well, we don't deserve a quarter a pinch of this quality of life. The, the person that can give you this quality of life is somebody that loves you dearly. There are some things you know when you receive from people. You know it is only if someone loves you that they will give you. The Bible says that how is it possible that how can a man in this life give himself for another person? How can he, you see, you might be able to give people money. You can give people houses. But how can you give yourself to another person? How can you give what you have to another person? It's only because you love that person. And that love, hey, is bigger, is better, is more superior than any kind of love that you can ever receive anywhere. Receive anywhere. The love that God has for us is eternal. It doesn't stop. Even when you don't feel loved, he loves you. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way, no trouble, no hard times, no hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sin listed in the scripture. Glory to God. Not even the worst sin listed in the scripture. Go on. Hello. You have, okay. They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We are sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. Go on. 
None of these faces us because Jesus loves you. Go on. I am absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living nor dead, angelic or demon, today or tomorrow. Go on. High or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love. Because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. Listen, there is nothing that can get you out of God's love. It's not the tribulation that you are going through. It's not the difficulty that you are going through. It's not the hard times that you are facing that will make God to disown you. God does not disown you in difficult times or in hard times. You might not feel him. Don't think because you are going through a difficult time means that God is not with you or God doesn't love you anymore. It's important that you know this. Because if a man is conscious of how he's loved, I assure you, there is no difficult time that comes, that comes around. He knows that whatever we turn out, everything will work for his good. Because most of us, we are defined by the difficult times. Is that not so? When difficult times come, how we come out of it influences our experience in life and influences how we judge the next way. But if before the, if the, the challenges come, you know that, listen, God loves you so much that there is nothing that can happen to you that at the end of the day, even if it doesn't, even if it doesn't satisfy you, you know that God wants things to happen for your good. Therefore, whatever that thing is, there is a good inside of it for you. Then, your life will be lived in love to other people, to your environment. You will not be faced by anything that you face. Paul said it in that Romans that we read. He said, I have come to be persuaded and to know that all things works together for my good. So you carry the eternal life of Christ in you and sometimes you are facing difficult times. Know that, listen, you are going to demonstrate Christ in those difficult days. Because the life of God is in you. You will demonstrate Christ. It might not come, it might not all results to the rosy way you feel. But know this, that there is a good inside of it for you. God has designed a package in it for you. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, you will find it. With the help of the eternal spirit that you have, you will find it. Resist the devil when he comes, he will flee. Stand confidence in the confidence. I mean, in, in the, I mean, as the Bible said, as Paul said, stand in the deliverance, in the freedom that you have been given by Christ. And resist the devil and he will flee from you. Rise up on your feet. Can you?